Hey there, and welcome back to Health, Wealth, and Happiness. I'm James. I'm Joe. So we had a guest on the show, Joe Zalius, and we spoke about a Japanese concept called Ikigai. Have you ever, have you ever heard of uh, Akigai? You ever heard of this? Okay, so it's a Japanese uh, term, and I've read a book about, I read, I read the book called Akigai, and uh, it describes what you should be doing and finding purpose for yourself. And it intrigued both of us. Uh, so we went away and we Googled it. Um, and the same image kept popping up all the time, this Venn diagram with four circles crossing over each other. And in each segment covered a different aspect of your life. And smack bang in the middle was this word called Ikigai. So this led me down this wormhole that is the internet. And we came across our next guest, Mark Wynn, who designed this image, which has since gone viral. Books have been written, documentaries have been made, online courses have been created, and it's even being discussed in the World Economic Forum. So without further ado, welcome, Mark. Good to have you on board. Hello. Uh, nice to be here. Fantastic. So let's dive into this straight away. Who is Mark Wynn? Um, Mark Wynn, oh gosh. Um, I think to understand me, um, the kind of potted stories, I, I um, grew up in a wealthy family in a tax haven um, called Guernsey. Oh, um, sorry, a low-tax jurisdiction called Guernsey. Um, I also spent time growing up in Africa. My family and my dad particularly came from a tough background in York, so left school at 14, made something of himself. Um, so I had very conflicting narratives growing up. Um, this narrative of get a good education and make a lot, a lot of money. Um, someone with no education made more money than the people telling me that. Um, but I also saw some of the downsides of success um, <clears throat> growing up with a, you know, kind of alcoholism and um, some of the negative traits. So, you know, I grew up very conflicted about the world, uh, grew up questioning um, and built a business in my 20s, um, a health company with my brother. Um, had two nervous breakdowns during that process. Um, um, recreated the model um, somewhat, but it was relatively financially successful after that decade-long process. And then I spent, since then, coaching and mentoring entrepreneurs um, how to build businesses that um, are aligned with purpose rather than uh, just necessarily being successful. And then latterly, I've worked on uh, the whole country of Guernsey in terms of what it takes to redefine success as a nation and how do we move from a, a tax haven that is purely wealth as a measure of success to one that focuses on um, well-being and what really matters at the end of that journey of success. And somewhere in that story, I, I read, a, I did a random blog post uh, where I changed one word, one word on an ikigai diagram, on a purpose diagram uh, with the word ikigai, and it turned into a uh, a global phenomenon um, of taking what is a kind of Japanese concept but redefining it, and merging it with quite a um, a Western view of what purpose is um, to bridge two worlds. Um, but yes, so that's potted story. <laughs> Start off with, have we said that right? Have we said Ikigai right? That's how we pronounce it? Ikigai, yeah, Ikigai, I think yeah. so. Um, obviously, not being Japanese, I probably made it as well. <laughs> <laughs> so what what is it? What does it mean? Well, um, so I've since been, uh, I had this, you know, kind of many podcasts and 
um, <laughs> and, and stories and conversations with people that actually have been to Japan for a long, longer than a day. <laughs> Um, and they talk about, um, from the Japanese perspective, they really talk about this um, essence of life, uh, this reason for being. Um, so it's a bit deeper than than, than what necessarily the, the Venn diagram would would talk about, but it's around, um, you know, this profound, deep sense of meaning in everyday life, and that can be a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Or in other contexts, they may call it dharma. Um, uh, in the West, we call it purpose. Those things slightly, you know, you'd, you'd, I think you would have to, to understand Eastern tradition to truly get the essence of it. You know, they, they would see something like sacrifice as something completely different to the West uh, and finding meaning in, as you look at Japanese culture in terms of it's very controlled and ordered, and so what that culture finds meaning and purpose in may be slightly different to what the Western context of purpose and meaning might be. Um, so there's, there's depth and nuance and stuff around purpose and ikigai and dharma and those kind of things that really is part of the, the global collective exploration around meaning. How, how did you, obviously you said before that, you know, the financial side of things, you know, you, you, you tick that off, but then you sort of realise that you wanted to find a deeper level of purpose. And, and I assume this is obviously where this all started, this Venn diagram and your model of this. Is that? Yeah. I mean, I, I said that the Venn diagram itself was 45 minutes of my life. What created the Google was the life story up to that point. Right? The, <laughs> the, um, so, uh, yeah, no, the, I was in deep questioning and deep inquiry that um, um, there was still um, a black hole in my existence, um, in my own uh, definition you know i was living as one of my good friends would say some uh, somebody else's life um and whilst it may appear on the outside very successful and all of these trappings of success but for me um it wasn't the true expression of who i was um and i think it's it's, it's really important to understand that in working with so many people in the past 10 years is what what works for me um, in terms of what I find meaning and purpose in could be very different um, to what works for you. Um, and I think that's an internal journey and an internal story and an internal reflection about what that means. And actually the, the Dharma thing is quite interesting is because your karma influences your Dharma that they often say. And so it's only when you truly accept yourself and integrate your entire past um, from that place of full self-acceptance, do you start to understand what your true path in life is? Was there a moment, you know, a moment or, you know, in the past where it all just clicks for you and, you know, it all made sense? Yeah, I think, that, I mean, there's, there's a sequence of steps of realizations in life, but I'll, I'll tell a story of one moment that really was probably one of the largest moments of self-acceptance, I would say, that triggered um, a lot of my work in the last 10 years i was reading a book called um the four hour work week which um is a tim ferris book that a lot of people read um and i think one of the one of the things of being deeply unmotivated in life for a long period of time but still able to function um is that you i'm two two strengths that i had growing up was one is always finding the shortest way to do something 
And two was being able to manipulate other people into doing things for me. So constantly called lazy at school, constantly called lazy all the time. And then when you're reading the, um, uh, and had that kind of psychological story around you're bad because you're X. Um, and in reading the four hour work week, what I saw was someone teaching people to live a more meaningful and purposeful life by working less and creating time. And suddenly I, took me six months to get off the ceiling because I realized, you know what, I'm never going to get anywhere in this world by being something I'm not. Um, and so what I realized is that capacity to find the shortest road to do something and that capacity to mobilize other people can be used as an extraordinary force for good in people's lives. And it turns out that the number one people thing you know, entrepreneurs suffer from is not having enough time. Um, and here you have as a, as a complete expert at delegation and time creation. <laughs> Um, um, who knew? And, um, and you know that, um, but that self-acceptance drove my meaning and drove my purpose. And it, but it was really, um, and what? But that would have been a very different story of self-acceptance for me as it would be for you. So it's usually those things that you hate about yourself uh, when you start to find redefine what they mean. Um, those things that you resist the most are often the places where the largest pearls of wisdom lie in your purpose, in your future. So the question is, what don't you like about yourself and why? Oh, there's loads we can talk about. <laughs> yeah. I don't like about James. Or... Oh, that's what I was going to say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's only going to help. Yeah, but that says more... So, so what you don't like about him says more about you. Oh, there you go. Back uh, on you now, buddy. God, a therapy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's the point. Finding purpose yeah. is a therapy yeah, process. Yeah. You have to do it. Yeah. Do the work to find it. Yeah. I watched your TED talk on the Dandelion Project and you started the presentation with minute silence <laughs> and five words on the screen. Yeah. What were they? They were, I'm a bit softened now, but, and, and um, uh, so they're, they're the words you are going to die. So I, yes, I did open a TEDx talk for two reasons. One, I think, you know, uh, it was good to make the audience feel more awkward than me. Uh, <laughs> so holding a minute silence with the word, you are going to die, helped deal with my fear of public speaking. But also it meant I had to talk a minute less. <laughs> so the laziness, uh, you know, that TED talk, TEDx talk was quite good. One minute was a minute silence. Three and a half minutes was playing another TED talk in my TED. Yeah, I know. I saw that bit, yeah. <laughs> so a third of my TED talk was done before I'd said a word. So it was... <laughs> It was the classic uh, modeling of the less is more, <laughs> the less is more approach. So what did you mean? Okay. So what, what do you mean by you are going to die? Well, I think it's, a, I think um, if you understand you're going to die and in the West, we particularly live from this place of fear of death. So we never try and think about it. You know, I often say when I'm working with people is, you know, when you've made all your money and you've, you've got it all in the bank um, and you're in your sixties or whatever, half broken, <laughs> from all of that struggle uh, what, what are you going to do then before you die right um and usually people have never th properly thought about that question so you know ultimately it's really the only question to ask is you know we're here for a finite period of time in this life depending on what your persuasion is um it's i think it's really 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 important to think about the end to start the beginning um and if you haven't on into a deep personal inquiry about what you want in this life, you're really a subconscious passenger to life, and you're never really going to find that sense of deep meaning and purpose 
uh, as easily if you don't question why on earth you're here. <laughs> so so you, you saying then, right at the start, you were saying all about you've got to find acceptance in who you are yeah. and acceptance in general. You're saying that you've got to go all the way to the end and accept what's going to happen there mm. and then go back. Wait, to... If you're not accepting, you're going to die. Uh, that's a big part of life you've not accepted yet, right? right? And so if you're resisting it by not thinking about it, you're fundamentally not accepting life, right? Um, And so this is about how you can't discover life until you accept the reality of all of it. Um, And this would be at the heart of Buddhism or the heart of many traditions, Uh, many more peaceful traditions, right? (laughs) So so, so as soon as you've done this, right, obviously clearly you've done this yourself, Mark, you've clearly just, how has your quality of life been different to when you were pre-acceptance compared to where you are right now? Where's your headspace at now? Well, let's just say as someone is doing lockdown with three young children right now, I would say acceptance (laughs) is an ongoing process. And they're always, they're always, it's never done, right? Yeah, As my, sure. my, my kids are rightly demonstrating right now, uh, there's bits of stuff that I don't accept. <laughs> uh, um, chaos ensues, and I'm still not always peaceful in the hurricane of young children. Um, but that's, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a continual cultivation of great and acceptance right um and the, the more we inquire and the more we feedback on all of the triggers all the things that had us move away from grace the more we discover our stories our lineage our, our past and the things that um uh, you know what makes up our subconscious joe and myself mm-hmm. and all the guys who are listening in right now how can we discover our true purpose or ikigai how can we go about doing that right i mean as i've said in the conversation is is ex- first you need to explore what you're resisting and under those stones lie you know, the, what, the wisdom that's required to truly know yourself. And when you know yourself, you'll know what to do. Right? Um, most of us have no idea who we really are. Right? So how do you find that? How do you get to that stage? Well, it's not a classic destination thinking. That's the model, old model of success. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, um, I was <laughs> being playful. The, um, it's a journey, right? And you discover life on the journey. Um, so this journey of inquiry is about, and the day by day acceptance that there is no destination other than death, um, um, none that matters, um, and that, that learning to just enjoy yourself on the way to death. For someone who's struggling to accept, yeah, you know, what, what would your advice be there for those who are struggling to find acceptance, then find purpose? What would your biggest advice be? To those people. Yeah, I mean, so so a lot of the emerging theory on how to get past struggle. So a lot of people re-traumatize themselves and live in this perpetual trauma and holding on. So a lot of the emerging science is that you actually need some form of high state. Uh, yeah. You can't solve the problem at the level of consciousness that it was created. So in some yep. ways, you need some mechanism to support you to shift the consciousness that you're in. So that could be in one level meditation, or it could be standing on top of a mountain in nature, or it could be psychedelics, or it could be uh, whatever, you know, depending on what mechanism you wish to use. Uh, I'm agnostic to um, the state-raising mechanisms that people use. I, uh, um, uh, but ultimately learning to shift your own consciousness when you go into contemplation and reflection helps you pass through the struggle much faster than if you did it. You know, we, all, we all know this, right? So if we're in a tired or in a bad mood, then our state is quite low. We're going to react to things much more than if we're well-rested 
um, asleep. So the thing is, is to do the reflection on the struggles of life in the high states to then make our base state much higher. Um, and so it's all around that dance between capturing the triggers in day-to-day life when they happen and then taking it into some kind of high state process to reflect and review and gain wisdom. Trying to deal with it at the time when you're triggered isn't very easy, uh, whereas capturing a trigger is a little easier and then taking I always hold a trigger list uh, and I write down every day what, what was the things that triggered me today and then I'll sit in meditate I'll sit in a jacuzzi or something and start to or a steam room and then that's my high state tool and start to reflect on them so is your message in all of this right the whole acceptance and everything else is becoming desensitized by everything essentially because it just doesn't matter because well, I, we're gonna die <laughs> well I would say it's resensitizing um because most people grow up close-hearted because they're told they're bad they're naughty their hearts shut down and we learn to suppress emotion rather than feel emotion um so we're all in our heads not in our hearts actually one of the great things about this process is that your heart starts to open as you who you know and suddenly the definition of life starts to increase you can love much deeper you can cry much harder you can so it's an interesting paradox is is it's it's not avoiding life it's it's facing the emotion and the challenge of life and we're often taught to check out or to watch netflix or to avoid or never face death or all of this discomfort but transformation is is around the passing through the emotion rather than the avoiding the emotion I think this is- so, so i'm intrigued quickly i'm intrigued so how are you harnessing this and this method, you know, this method of finding purpose and everything else into these entrepreneurs and business owners. That's what I used to do. Um, now more societally. Because um, okay. it turns out the, one of the number one factors in longevity is ikigai, where it comes from, the blue zone thing. So if you want to live a long and healthy life and avoid chronic disease, find purpose. So in health, in health system transformation, which is more kind of a whole system transformation, which I work on now, also work with, with businesses is if you're building a high purpose business for 10 years or you're building a high purpose government <clears throat> you're going to get better employees for less money that work better that come up with better ideas from their high states you know there's no downside to meaning right um, <laughs> the, if you want to make more money in this world be more purposeful because the radical transparency is there if you want the best employees for the least money and you want the lowest, because, you know, Elon Musk could outmarket the whole car industry from one Twitter account. Number one reason, purpose. And so this is a money-making tool. It's a success tool. But if you do it inauthentically, it won't resonate. And so one has to live one's own authentic past to create that resonance. Because uh, we all know when someone's not when someone's wearing a mask right we don't quite connect with them and so the truth is is you've got to be wholeheartedly out in the world living who you are as a business owner and a business runner and if you're not all of your cost of marketing all of your cost of staff all of these back-end costs that really you push swimming upstream rather than flowing with the river you know it's all linked to profitability uh, at the end of the day Tell us about what you mentioned earlier, the work you're doing or you've been doing for the past six years in Guernsey in relation to this. Yeah, I mean, I first learned about um, 
the, the, the possibility of a pandemic in 2013. And I started to realize um, many pandemics, because the technology to make more of these is in the public domain. Um, so it's not a question of just one virus. It's what happens when lots of people can make viruses. Um, it's the deeper question about the structure of society. Uh, and then it becomes an even, even more interesting question is if one per person who feels disaffected by society, by the meaninglessness of society can now create this kind of harm with technology they can buy from Amazon. What do we have to do as a society to make sure that no one is in pain and disconnected? And that's the real... What do you mean by that? Well, if you see that someone has been working in a biotech company for or biotech government biotech lab for a Korean dictator or something like that, and there's no meaning in it, they're just being taught to do something and they're very angry and frustrated with life. Um, they now have the capacity just to release something um, to create a lot of harm. Um, and so our models of governance that control us into living a deferred life, right? You've got to earn money to pay for things to then live something in the future. So that person is doing a job in the biotech facility to pay for the money so that they can be successful, right? <clears throat> which is where the anger fuels over time, you start to understand how our systems are creating the risk and our lack of meaning is it lies at the very core of the risk. Um, and for us to survive as a race, and climate change is a product of this as well, if you think about overconsumption around people who overeat or overconsume are covering up for a lack of meaning. Right. And so once you start to understand that this is fundamentally connected to the breakdown of the earth, um, uh, the biological systems of the earth, uh, we start to understand its role in collective transformation and, and changing the very systems that we operate. And so I spent the last six years in a small self-governing state to work on the transformation of all systems. So do you, do you believe the pandemic that we're in right now is manufactured? Uh, no. Um, the data about this one would suggest that it's a, a product of human consequence rather than um, human design. So, um, you know, the early information is that's coming out of one of the markets in China, uh, having a lot of species from all over the world in one place has created a virus that's jumped up with a species. So it is a human consequence, but it wouldn't the, the data about this particular virus would be that it's a human accident rather than human design. Um, but the technology to create these viruses by human design is also available. <laughs> but what, what you're saying though is that this ikigai and finding purpose is if everyone has that in society, they're less likely to go and personally manufacture something like this and do something stupid. They're less likely to cause harm, yeah. right? So if you look at um, why someone like Trump goes to power, it's like what's the clearly someone who hasn't accepted himself uh, and what's the unintended consequences of our pain and our shadow uh, and how that gets amplified on society is that, you know, it's the we, you know, we face a crisis of wisdom, right? Um, and we've gone through the era of democratizing knowledge. Um, and now Wikipedia and everything has all of this knowledge available. We're going through the algorithmic era of democratizing intelligence, but we're seeing all of these consequences of very smart people doing very silly things. Uh, <clears throat> you have to look at 
um, the algorithmic elections in the UK to understand the consequences of social cohesion being manipulated to create election issues. Mark, what's the future for you then? Obviously, is it continuing the, the societal sort of purpose-driven approach? Is it, or have you got different projects that you've got lined up? What, what's the future yeah, for you? I, I don't know. I tend to move with the river, but, you know, I sense that, um, I, you know, you know, I've got three kids, so when I fully get out of this compound, <laughs> who knows, I may go and, you know, eventually hug some people and get back to connecting and then... Um, uh, and then hopefully in a few weeks this island will be virus free and we can start to do that um, and then who knows and then there's a, there's a maybe other islands to support so if you could do it all again what advice would you give an 18 year old mom um, my favourite question um, is what if it was easy <laughs> everything is difficult until it becomes easy <laughs> and that's I would say if that was going to be on my gravestone, it would be that question. Um, you know, we're suffering from individual and collective overcomplication. Um, and that 18-year-old who saw the world as a lot more complicated than it actually was, saw his own life as a lot more complicated as it was, um, <clears throat> just needed someone to put their arm around him and, and just say, you know, this can be made, you can make this easier with a shift in perspective, right? Um, and I had the power all along to shift my perspective on the world I was living in. Where can listeners find out more about you? Uh, where can they go and tune into you? Oh, urban myth. Um, no, <laughs> the, um, probably um, I would say go visit markwin.com. Um, uh, Mark is M-A-R-C. Thanks, mum. Lots of people get that wrong. And win is W-I-N-N. Um, um, so markwin.com it links to my blog and my other sites and everything I'm doing um, or in a highly minimalist way as you'd expect um, yes no hopefully the, the story of Guernsey and the community um, will start to surface in the world um, and it isn't really about what I do it's more about what this island is achieving collectively Mark it's been great having you on thank you for and the time I've certainly enjoyed it yeah it's been eye-opening thanks for having me guys it's been a pleasure everybody. thank you very much we'll see you in the next one guys cheers I love hearing stories. I love hearing it's like you stories. Said, isn't it? It's like your purpose or your ikigai. It's, it's like when you realise you're going to die, it's all about memories, hearing about people's stories and everything else. And that's what we're doing through this podcast. It's just, you know, it's not really about business. It's about hearing other people's journeys and everything else, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, but it lies at the very heart of tribal process, right? Is we're genetically yeah. designed to communicate through story. Right. Um, and, and we've, we've lost yeah. that um, and um, now it's a real time where people are bringing that back so really, I deeply thank you for all the work you're doing in the, the storytelling space 